This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create your own professional website or online portfolio. For a free trial and 10% off, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code CANDIDFRAME. You can now download the latest episode of The Candid Frame directly to your smartphone or tablet using the Candid Frame app. Available for Apple iOS, Android, and Windows 8, you can automatically receive and listen to the latest episode minutes after it's released. Mark and download your favorites or send your comments and suggestions directly to me via the app. Download it today using your favorite app store or click on the links in the show notes found at the Candid Frame website. We also have the support of lynda.com, who with over 2,000 high-quality and engaging videos, provides a wide breadth of courses from beginner to advanced. lynda.com is there to help you learn creative, software, and business skills to achieve your personal and professional goals. To take advantage of their free seven-day trial, visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame. That's L-Y-N-D-A forward slash the candid frame. This is Ibarion X and welcome to the show. Well, summer is coming sooner than you think, which means vacations. Whether it's a vacation in your home country or traveling abroad, It's a wonderful opportunity to relax, have new experiences, and of course, to make photographs. It's great to have so much time to dedicate to just making photographs, which makes the idea of doing this for a living very, very seductive. So when you meet a photographer who does this for their livelihood, your curiosity is piqued, and that certainly is the case with today's guest, Deborah Sandage. As I'm intending to do some traveling myself this summer, I make it a point to explore the work of people who make this kind of photography their regular practice. It gives me ideas for my own photography and helps me to think about more than just making another snapshot. However, we're, we're going to do much more than just get a few travel trips today, so uh, enjoy our conversation with Deborah Sandage. Well, Deborah, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I always enjoy talking to travel photographers because not only do I enjoy traveling myself, but I know it's a point of interest for a lot of people who who listen to the show. The way I kind of want to start the conversation is to talk to you about, about a challenge I sometimes have, and I know that a lot of other people have, whether they're professional travel photographers or not. And it's the, the tendency, especially for photographers, to miss out on the experience because they're so focused on the photographs. I'm wondering whether, whether that's been a challenge for you and what you have done to sort of remedy it so that you can really enjoy the experience while still being able to get some great photographs. 
That is a great question. And I, I think one of the things I try to do is to set goals. So I, I try to make sure that I have the goals in mind and, and I have those goals and I, I go ahead and, and photograph the ideas that I have in mind. But then I also take a second and enjoy whatever it is to uh, to experience. So it might be uh, definitely photographing those twinkling lights on the uh, Eiffel Tower. But at the same time, you're just really appreciating how, how magical and how exciting it is. So you know, and trying to get into some of the experience that maybe just maybe some of the music or the culture of, of the travel, aside from just uh, just to get the photograph, because like I know I can drive myself very hard and, and then it takes away some of that uh, uh, magic of it. So if I have goals and I try to make it balanced, it seems to all come together for me. So what's the kind of planning that that you're talking about beyond, you know, getting yourself to that destination. What's your thought process in terms of that planning that allows you to make sure you get the photograph that, that also allows you to really enjoy the moment? Well, one of the goal planning, obviously, and, I, and I, what I do is I think about the location that I'm going to and I research it. So I'm looking at all the photos on Google+, I'm looking on Flickr, I'm looking at any resource, and I'm seeing what people do. And I'm also thinking about how I can come away with a photograph that's different from everybody else's photo, because everybody goes to Paris and everybody goes to London. And generally speaking, there's a lot of very similar photographs. So I'm thinking about how I can apply my personal perspective or my experience to the photograph. So I, I'm researching that. So once I have an idea about where I want to photograph, usually that will fall together as far as once I get there and I scout, I know what the locations are going to be and how I want to approach it. What I like to do, I love to do long exposure photography and it's a little bit different. So let's say I was photographing the uh, Tower Bridge, which I love Tower Bridge in London. It's been photographed a million times. But the idea behind the way that I was going to approach it is to use neutral density filters and let the clouds blur across the sky over a period of time. So I've got a, a picture that's representative perhaps of uh, 10 minutes or eight minutes or so. So as these clouds blur across the sky, it's very unique and very different. So that is what excites me and, and moves me to be able to take the type of photos and uh, that I like to do. And then I'm not always able to um, do what I want to do. I, maybe I'm working for a client, so I have a preordained list of things to do. But but I'm trying to interject the things that I like to do into that type of photography also. And the kind of photography you just described really requires you to, to spend some time at a place, which I think kind of helps you take it in. It really has to be part of your thinking instead of sort of rushing from one destination to another. That's a very good point. And, and this does require a lot of patience. <laughs> you can't just uh, stop and take one single picture and move on to the next destination. I know a lot of people uh, do that. They take a picture, they can move on. So here I'm required to, st I've got to plan it out, I've got to map out how I want to approach the subject. And I've got to get everything together and, and set the camera up, which takes some time. We're talking about neutral density filters and making sure I have the correct uh, starting exposure. And then once I set the camera up, then I'm going to be able to make a, a one longer exposure. So I'm using a second camera also. So I'll, I'll, I'll do other different types of photography during the time that the camera is exposing for that single long exposure. I also like to do time lapse. And, and, and you might have seen some from some of the photos where I'm combining several long exposures into one photograph, which is sort of an interesting thing. So 
I'm difficult to travel with in that, that I'm not going to be moving around a lot once I get to a good location and the lights are right. <laughs> I'm going to dig in and take pictures. But luckily, I've had uh, people who travel with me who have similar interests. Yeah, I was going to ask you because I'll go... You- I would think you got to travel alone in order to be able to, to do that because some people just do not have the patience to to bring along a photographer who wants to, you know, to, wants to linger at a place for, for a long period of time. Everyone, you know, is so busy trying to cram in as much as they can within a limited period of time. It seems like, you know, a waste to spend an hour or two hours at just one spot. I know that's hard and, and it's it's planning has a lot to do with it. So I, I know where I want to be at the certain time I want to be there. And, and the light is always going to be there for a certain amount of time. But the thing about long exposure, which I really like, is that you can work with light perhaps in the middle of the day, you know, not just low light. So I can work in that harsher light situations because I'm using the neutral density filter. So it does allow me a little bit more flexibility. My favorite of course, time of day is twilight when the light is just absolutely beautiful and we don't have that much time. Any photographer doesn't have that much time. So we're really working to capture that beautiful light as it happens. But the long exposure using neutral density filters really gives you a lot more flexibility. So I enjoy that. So how do you negotiate that? I mean, if you're with another group of photographers, there's sort of this unspoken understanding that this is just what we do. Mm-hmm. But when you're with people who aren't necessarily photographers, say you're with you know, your families or friends that you're traveling with, how do you strike the balance between being able to dedicate that time that you need to make the photographs, but also being able to accommodate their needs and their desires to be able to move around or, you know, or just to enjoy their company doing something like going to, to dinner you know, when that magic hour is happening and not rushing off to make a photograph. (laughs) Well, my friends know at the magic hour, (laughs) we're going to be out shooting. (laughs) But, and then we'll have dinner and we'll do, we'll do both. That's, um, that's kind of how it works. But generally, that's, that is a really good question. It is hard to juggle and balance everything. But the thing about workshops that I really enjoy is that everybody is there for the same reason. So they're very passionate about being at a, at a great location and capturing the light. And so they want to be there and they, and they want that inspiration. They want that education and they want that opportunity to be in the same place. So workshops work out fabulous because they're all similar interest people. I had an assignment where I had to travel to London to Paris, which was, was great. And I need somebody to help me with carry the gear. So I, I, I employed my daughter to come with me, which was wonderful. And, and again, there's that dynamic of, wow, we're going to stand here and take a 10-minute picture <laughs> of working in that. And that's really hard. But so what I had to ensure was like, okay, we'll do, you know, and the, the weather isn't that great. You know, we definitely went to museums. We did everything else possible. But during the shooting time, it was my job, you know, to work on that. So, But it is a matter of balance and who you travel with. It's, it, it's a little difficult to travel with. Uh, if I have a specific goal and I'm traveling with a non-photographer. So that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> I try to make sure that I'm traveling with like-minded people and uh, and it's a lot of fun. I'll, I'll have an opportunity this summer to travel with um, very good friends of mine. And that's what we're going to concentrate on, just, you know, beautiful countrysides. And, and they want to be the same type of photography, so it will work out. Was the idea of traveling something that fascinated you when you were a girl or did that something that came to you later? Oh, that's a wonderful question. I just really didn't have that opportunity to travel when I was younger. So it was always sort of there and sort of an interest. And and when my kids got older, I had the opportunity to, to travel a little bit more and, and I absolutely loved it. It, it was a great time in my life to be able to 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 do that and uh, and experience the different countries and so what was worked out were 
if I do freelance work, sometimes that'll bring me to a uh, um, a different country or just a different location. And and I've chosen some, some interesting places. Uh, Cuba, it was wonderful. Uh, Italy was on an assignment and it was absolutely wonderful. So here I'm working to get what the client needs, but then you know, I'm able to put my own ideas into it. So it just, it's a really great experience. So I'm flexible enough in this point in my life where my work does bring me to other countries or to different locations. And, and that it's just very exciting to me, and I'm, I'm very happy to have the opportunity to do that. So were you interested in photography way before you had an interest in, in traveling abroad, or or did they come around simultaneously? I was actually I, I kind of an art background. I, I love art. I, I love to draw. I'm not very good at drawing. <laughs> my instructor, my art professor said I needed to draw upside down. <laughs> so, And I actually did very well when I did that because I wasn't trying to outthink. And I, mean, I think from that from that foundation was really born uh, into photography. And I, you know, I love the idea. I love Photoshop. And to me, that's just an extension of your creativity. So I, I love the opportunity to do work in Photoshop. But So I think my art background really led me to photography. And of course, my passion for photography um, led me to, well, actually it was to write uh, my first book. It was uh, Digital Infrared Photography. It's published by Wiley. It's available on Amazon. And, and I was very, very passionate about infrared. And it was at the time when well, a lot of people were working with film, but also digital was becoming popular. And I realized I could put an R72 filter, an infrared filter on the lens of my camera and make beautiful, expressive images that just were not so different from the regular photograph. You know, you're seeing invisible light. To me, that was magical. So I, I worked really, really hard on infrared for a year, just was just so p super passionate about it. Was asked to write a book about it, which which is which is a wonderful type of experience. So it's, you have to be very dedicated to write a, a, a book, but at the same time, I'm putting in my passion and, and I really enjoyed that. Yeah, infrared has always fascinated me because it, it demands, you know, photography has always been a technical practice to some mm -hmm. extent. And, you know, some people can get away without being particularly technical about making images. They just need to know how to set an exposure and press a button and they can make a photograph. But when it comes to infrared photography, you have to have such a, a greater understanding of light and color in order to make use of that effectively. So when you put on that filter and you saw the result that you got, how much of a learning curve, though, was it to really to begin understand those principles of light and color in order to make really good and consistent photographs? That's a great question. And, and I think one of the first things, um, and I have to go back to how Ansel Adams would look at a color landscape and just sort of visualize how it's going to look in black and white. That's sort of the evolution that happens as an infrared photographer. And and what it is is the way that light reflects and is absorbed by different surfaces is, is, is how an infrared picture comes together. So I really went through the experience of learning that uh, maple trees were highly reflective of infrared light, and they just had this wonderful uh, translucence and, and glow about them, where conifers were, weren't quite as reflective. So you, you learn to build in the different type of types of trees and, and textures and elements of a composition to uh, create a fascinating image. So in that respect, it's more about the textures and patterns and tonality um, than, you know, of course, obviously the absence of color. Well, with, you mentioned that you started doing that with film, but with digital, um, when I started hearing about it, is that people would take older cameras and they would have the filter that's in front of the sensor removed. Mm -hmm. 
and and then convert it over to, to to digital. So why don't you talk about that process and and how you had to think about making an infrared photograph in digital as compared to, uh, to what you had to do with film? Well, actually, I started out. The way I started out was with digital. It was it was so much easier because I, I watched what my friends had to do. That film is very very sensitive. It gets uh, it gets fogged. It gets scratched. So I started out. I had a D an Nikon D100 and I purchased an R72 infrared filter, just a standard infrared filter. And at that time, I could mount it on on the lens. And of course. Yeah, I had to set up the composition at first because once you put on that infrared filter, it's much like a neutral density filter. It is black at 10 stops, so you cannot see through it. So the idea was to set up the composition and then make the exposure. So it actually wasn't as challenging as I'm sure was film where it was a lot more tricky. Um, for me, it was just it was just such a natural uh, type of thing. I, I just love the idea of it. So when I worked with the images, um, the idea is to, of course, there's a little bit of visible light that um, is in a in a R72 type filter. It's not just 100% uh, infrared light. So you do go ahead and convert that to black and white. So the art to me in uh, conversion is is black and white and, and, and working with the textures and tonalities that are in the photo to bring out the most imp- interesting parts. When it comes to the composition, how did you have to think about it slightly differently as a result of shooting infrared because I would think that shooting infrared your images can come off as a bit gimmicky because it just looks so different from a traditional sort of photograph and then the effect itself becomes the whole ends up being the whole purpose of the photograph oh doesn't that look kind of cool but in order to make a really exceptionally strong photograph you still have to think about composition and form and shape and line but you know like you mentioned there is a kind of a challenge that you're facing because you have to put that filter on there. And because everything kind of looks differently, you're responding to all those elements slightly differently. So how did you have to sort of rewire your brain to think about all those other elements of a good photograph we often have to think about when we're putting together a normal composition? Well, the way I thought about it, when I'm looking at the composition, I'm, I'm looking at the different elements. I, I know from experience that the water often is going to reflect the sky and become quite dark and that grasses near, a, let's say, a, sh- uh, a stream area are going to be very, very light. So I know kind of, from, from experience what's going to be, become more expressive. And the idea is not definitely don't want to come away with something that's that's gimmicky or catchy. And I, I want it to be an image that just has something different about it that, you know, that, that the viewer will look at and, and just be engaged because it's a familiar subject but it's presented in a different way. And I think that's what's so attractive about about infrared. So in in composition, I'm looking at the basic elements of tonality, shape, pattern, texture, and how that's going to work in black and white when I'm looking at it as through my own eyes as a color image. Yeah, look at at some of the photographs that you've taken where you actually include like man-made structures in, in the composition. So it's not just sort of landscapes in the in the natural world, which is what I've typically associated with it. What what kind of considerations do you have to make when you're including, you know, elements like that in the frame, along with you know the trees, the grass, the sky, in those photographs? Because, like you mentioned, the buildings, the color of the buildings, and all of that will kind of translate completely differently when you're shooting in infrared. Well, that's, that's a good point. I, I like to include some type of foundation. It could be anything. One of my favorite photos is uh, one I took in Africa. It's just an elephant, just sort of a side view of an elephant. But 
it's really about the landscape, you know, the dramatic clouds and, and, and the background, but the elephant happens to be there. But the way that light is absorbed and reflected by different surfaces, the elephant is dark and, and everything else is, is different. So you can get lost in a sea of infrared if everything is about the same. Let's say it was a field of poppies. Basically, they're going to all look very, very similar and they're just going to look like a sea of white. So you definitely want to have something as far as tonality to ground the image. So an old barn is fabulous. You know, that gives an anchor point to all the different textures that are going to be represented uh, as as light areas in the image. So definitely uh, buildings, uh, level barns, um, but Anything that's going to break up that uh, that landscape. You mentioned that you know the use of the uh, the filter cuts down on a lot of light. So what are you having to do in terms of your camera settings, particularly with your ISO uh, and and your choice of aperture and, and shutter speed? Obviously, you, you need to use a, a tripod, but you know ISO is always a concern because you don't want to go too high and start introducing you know noise and and all that other stuff to the to the shot if you can avoid it. So. How are you sort of striking that balance between having a a relatively small aperture to maintain a deep depth of field, but also try to achieve as reasonable an ISO as you can? Ah, because now we can have our cameras converted to infrared. So it's, it's much, much easier than it was years ago. So the idea is to, let's say you have a camera, you've stepped up, oh, let's say you stepped up to the Nikon D4S <laughs> and you have another, let's say you have a Nikon D800 or something, or well, I shouldn't say that, maybe it's a D300, an earlier version camera that's just basically collecting dust. You don't use it as a backup camera. You can have that camera sent in and have it converted. So it, it shoots prime, it shoots in infrared. That's the purpose of the camera. So you don't have to worry about ISO. You don't have to worry. You can use the normal aperture. It functions normally as a, as a regular camera would, except that it just it records in infrared. So yes, I think I have three or four <laughs> infrared <laughs> cameras that have been converted. That's the way to go right now. It's so much easier. And what do you have to do differently when you're importing these images? I assume that you're shooting raw. So mm-hmm. is there anything in particular that you have to do especially when you're importing any of these images into the Lightroom or, or, or Photoshop? Or basically you're, you're treating them as you would any other file? That's a great question. And, and what happens with certain cameras uh, is that Adobe interprets the white balance, how it, it thinks it should be red. So, so you might get a little indifferent interpretation. Uh, but you can use the native RAW converter for, uh, for a lot of the cameras. Or if I'm converting them to black and white, it's a non-issue. I mean, I'm not worried about that slight amount of color that might be in the image. So I, I'm generally treating it like a regular image. I'm doing all the same basic uh, contrast, uh, exposure, um, fine-tuning structure, any type of adjustments that I need to make. And then I'll convert the image to black and white. Generally, I'm using Nick Silver FX Pro. It gives me a lot of control with the control points. <laughs> and uh, so I, I do like the, uh, the way that it works with that. What sort of feeling are you hoping that people come away from when they take a look at these photographs? Because some of them are locations that uh, people may be familiar with. Um, other that, that that are not, but what are you hoping people feel about these photographs when they look at them that maybe they wouldn't experience if they were just looking at a more straightforward photograph of the same scene? That's a beautiful question. Um, I had an experience recently where I showed someone one of the, my one of my pictures, and and you could, she just took a moment, and then you could just hear uh, just a slight little gasp, she goes, oh, you know, just like that. And to me, that 
is the greatest compliment in the, in, the, in the world. She didn't have to say anything. It was just her expression. Mm. So there was something about the photograph that was so moving to her and, and, and it just, it touched her in, in, in a way that that's the way, that's how I want to be as a photographer. I want to be able to, you know, inspire people or move people or have this, oh my gosh moment. So there's something about, it's not, I, I don't, approach photography as documenting the experience. And I, and I totally respect photojournalists because I could never do that. It's an amazing type of work. But I think m the way I work is more towards creative, fine art. I'm, I'm working to create an expressive image that is not something that someone would see in a moment in time, like in a fraction of a second, the 125th of a second, I'm talking about maybe over five minutes or so, or or using a process such as infrared. But that's how I really want to be able to speak to the viewer. Well, you make an in interesting point there, because sometimes you're you're being hired by a publication to create you know travel photographs of a, of a destination. And, and when you take a look at your website, they can see, we can see that you know, you're using Photoshop, you're using Lightroom, you're using plugins to be very creative in your interpretation. So how do you uh, sort of negotiate that in terms of being able to produce an image that, for the most part, for a publication needs to document uh, a place, but which also allows you to sort of express your own unique sense in terms of what you like an image to look like? That's a, that's a very good question. And I, I think it's ways of seeing and, and, ex, and, and expression. So, and I, I love freelance work. So the idea is, you know, I may get a camera or a lens and my job is, and I have a shot list and I have to fulfill that shot list. So the way I do it is I have to fulfill their needs, but I'm, I'm putting the way I see things into, into an image. So to me, it's like a big puzzle. You know, I have all these different pieces and all those components have to come together, of course, to, to, to the client and how they like it. So that's how I look at it. I, I'll, I'll, if I can work with it in a, in a way that's uh, the way that I like, perhaps a little creative, or, no, they may not go for the infrared, <laughs> but certainly a longer exposure, but I'm using the qualities of light. So I have if I have the opportunity to shoot at twilight, if, or if I have to shoot um, or illustrate an idea of how a lens is going to be perform in low light, then I'm going to pick this wonderful location. I'm going to shoot in the beautiful light in the way that I like to shoot uh, at, in twilight. So that would fulfill the client's needs, but it also fulfills the way I like to shoot. So to talk to us about getting those assignments, because I think most people dream about being, being having the opportunity to produce images for a magazine article, but... Uh, are these publications soliciting you and asking you to go to this destination or are you going to a destination and then pitching the magazine and saying, Hey, I'm going to this, you know, I'm going to Berlin, I'm going to Paris and you might be interested in some of the images that, that uh, I produce there. So how, how are you sort of negotiating the need and, and what you're trying to do? That's a good question, and, and it's it's really both. That you're, you're, what you stated both ways. Um, I think because I go to an area and I produce this type of picture, then I may be asked to do something. So, for example, um, Nikon noticed some of my long exposure work in, in stars and in star trail photography, and so they ended up asking me. Actually, they asked Harold Davis and Pete Lutus all to to work together on this article on on stars and star trails. So we were able to produce um, a body of work that Nikon's using on on the Learn and Explore site. Also, my long exposure work, they wanted to um, have some of that to, to work on. So just as far as readers to be able to come to the website and see how it's done and, and get inspired and get a little light 
ideas and, and come away with things that they can apply to their photography. So it works that way. And in the same way, then um, I may be asked to take my skills to, let's say I went to Italy one year and I had to work on and getting pictures for the client but because I think they see the I see that how I work and it's like a two-way street so yes it works both ways and now I'd like to take the time to thank our sponsors I know you love photography you wouldn't be listening to this show if you didn't so if you're like many of us you have dozens if not hundreds of images that you are really really proud of You've worked hard to develop your skills as a photographer so that you can make better and better photographs. So it's important that you share them. Though you may have some images posted on Flickr or Facebook, that's not showing your images to their best effect. Remember, presentation can often be just as important as content. So why don't you showcase your images in the way that they deserve and see how they look on a Squarespace website. You can do it all in less than 20 minutes and I guarantee you that you'll be pleased by what you see. Find out for yourself by taking advantage of their 14-day free trial. You don't need a credit card, just create an account and go for it. When you decide to sign up for a Squarespace account, make sure to use the offer code CANDIDFRAME to get 10% off and to show your support for the show. Squarespace, everything you need to create an exceptional website. Think about how much money you've invested in equipment and software over the years. You made the purchases on the promise that that next bit of kit or software was going to improve your photography, and it may or may not have. That's because having that camera or lens in your bag doesn't make you a better photographer. It's actually a combination of knowledge, inspiration, and practice, and you get all of that by subscribing to lynda.com. Check out some of their courses, including the documentary, This Is Not Photography, which profiles the work of Jerry Ullsman and Maggie Taylor, two masters of photography who create exceptional work using two very different approaches. You can watch this in over 2,000 quality videos for free for a limited time. I've worked out a special deal with lynda.com to provide you with unlimited access to the entire library free for seven days. Visit lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to use it for a week. That's lynda.com forward slash the candid frame to start your seven day free trial and help support the show. Yeah, because the way I do it when I'm, when I'm traveling, I'm producing images there and I'm already thinking in terms of how I'm going to use those, these images in a magazine article or in a book. Um, when you're going out there, though you're working for a client, you're probably also thinking about how else you can repurpose these images for for other in other ways that allow you to earn a living. Oh, absolutely. Uh, when I traveled, let's see, Paris this uh, and this last summer, I'm working on for the for a client for to produce images uh, for a particular lens that was going to be released. So the idea is to give the client what they need, but also, you know, I have my camera and I'm also working on the, once I'm done with what I have to do, that I'm able to go ahead and, and make some pictures on my own with my own camera and come away with uh, something that's expressive or interesting or fulfills my creative need. And then those, I may use those for teaching, for workshops or for seminars or for a pot potential book. I keep tossing around in my mind, so maybe working on another book, but absolutely, you know, I think 
everything relates. And, and you're absolutely right in thinking of diversification because it's not just one thing. As photographers, certainly, you know, the the landscape has changed on, on how we work. So, you know, I ended up doing, I you know, I, I do workshops throughout the year, which I absolutely love. Um, people, are, there's just this energy that happens between um people that are with you, other photographers. So it's really great to be able to share what you know with other people. I'd love to be able to do public speaking events. And that's another a wonderful way. And I'm showing all these pictures that I've taken and people are coming away with ideas of how they can apply to uh, their photography. Um, I just had noticed from this morning from a photographer, I have a little Facebook group for long exposure creativity. So a lot of people have joined that group and, and we just share photos, inspiration, and ideas. And she posted a picture and thanked me. She said, this is a picture that I was able to produce. I went to uh, one of your seminars and was inspired. Obviously, it's all her dedication and hard work. But, you know, that kind of thing is just, that, that's a wonderful uh, feeling to be able to share with other people. And uh, that, but it is, it's it's workshops. It's, uh, it's going to guest speak at different events. It's also um, working with people in your own area is, is a lot of fun to do. So, and then, so it all kind of relates. People are, are producing these images and they think they want to try to make a living. Maybe not a living because it's, it's really hard to make a living as a travel photographer, but nevertheless want to see about getting their images published in, in a variety of different public publications. What, what's your sort of recommendation in terms of the, the path that they should follow for looking uh, into that? I know it's a fairly broad question, but you know what? What would be, what would be your suggestions for initial steps to getting their pictures in front of someone who might be interested in u- using them? Well, I would suggest to, for people to start even locally at their community level. There may be a city hall, there may be a library who's very interested in local works. Perhaps they had a body of work of uh, an iconic area uh, in, in their particular area. In my area, Lake Eola is just uh, it's a beautiful lake, has a fountain, it's very well photographed. And I actually know a friend of mine who's took her infrared camera out and she photographed this whole area in, um, of Orlando in infrared and was able to present it to, um, a couple different places locally in the community. So you start, start, you know, at that level. And then you, once you have that behind you, you can, you can definitely present, uh, to other people. So, it's, you know, start small, um, definitely having a social media presence. That's so key in, in this, in this world. I mean, pretty much to be able to reach out to people. It's amazing to me on Google plus there's so many people and on Facebook, you're in touch with all kinds, with the, with people all over the planet. So it, 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 it is kind of lo- uh, levels the field a little bit. So you're not such a, uh, in, in a small pond of fish, you know, reaching out to a lot of different people. But I would suggest you know, keeping a, a social media presence so people can see your work. So if you, there's a lot of different outlets, uh, there's Flickr and there's uh, 500 pics. There's um, there's Google, of course, Facebook. So if, if you're out, if you have your work out there, the more likely. And of course, having a website. A website is your address. <laughs> you know, having a place so that people can land and, and keeping a blog. That's really crucial too, because people end up you know taking a look at these things and sharing. So it does get around you. It's amazing to me. Once I wrote a book, once I sat down and wrote a book, that's really like a calling card. And that became a way for, to open other doors. So that's, that's another venue. Consider writing a book, even if it's like a, um, a self-published book. Having a social presence is obviously important nowadays, but it can seem really daunting because if you're an, an entrepreneur, if you're working for yourself, there's so many things that you have to do during the course of the day. And 
the one thing about having a social presence that you have to have is consistency. So how do you sort of work work that in on top of all the other things that you need to do to make sure that you maintain that consistency and and are able to to maintain the interest of your audience? That's a, that's the challenge, right? It it is hard to invest in in each of those different social media. So when I'm traveling, it's very, very difficult. But there's a lot of different venues. So I, if I'm traveling, I can still use something like Instagram or um, Snapseed or, you know, put out the photos so they're, so they're really out there and I'm still in touch with people and, and people are still responding. I think the biggest, biggest flaw um, that I would have is it's easy to go dark <laughs> and, and then people, you know, it's, it's hard to, to come back. So it, it, if I'm traveling, I get so invested in what I'm doing. So I, I, I do try to keep my finger on the pulse of what's, what's going on and, uh, and, and, and in touch with everyone through social media. Well, I was looking at your long time exposures and they're just beautiful. Um, Thank you. I, you have so, so many here that could easily be some of my favorite images, but t- tell me about the, the interest in, in long time exposure. Uh, did that really sort of come out as a result of the work that you were doing with infrared and just sort of became a, a natural progression? Exactly. It, it really, it really did. I, because infrared is so different and so expressive and engages the viewer in a way that is um, different than just a, a regular, just a photo that documents the experience. There has to be something expressive about it. If it moves me, hopefully it'll move you, that type of thing. And the way they work, I, I like to work with the low light of twilight. To me, that's fascinating. It, this is a beautiful light. It's very short-lived. And, and just that is, to me, if you can master that, that that's definitely a step along the way. Then you can use these graduate uh, um, variable neutral density filters, and that sort of steps you up to a little bit longer exposure during the day. And it gives you – maybe you're capturing the rushing water of, of, um, out of the beach coming towards you, or you're able to extend the exposure and create a sense of motion with that. To me, to me, that's very exciting, you know, again, in the same way that infrared is. And then you put on – all bets are off when you put on a 10-stop neutral density filter. That's the game changer. You're really working with exposures in the middle of the day. It could be – 10 minutes or so could be five minutes. It just changes the dynamics of a photograph. So you're really not recording a moment in time. You're recording long, uh, ex- several moments in time. It could be minutes. And, and to me, it creates kind of an interesting, expressive image. Um, the idea, too, is also multiple long exposures. That can be very interesting. And that's sort of the idea of developing storms, a, a personal project that I like to work with. Sort of any time there's something interesting happening with the weather, I'll, I'll go work with that idea. And I'll try to capture really long exposure. Maybe I'll capture several long exposures together, or multiple exposure. But to me, that is creating an image that is um, sort of painted by the light. Yeah, I was really fascinated by the ones, the long-time exposures that are also a combination of multiple exposures. I had not seen that, and they create this really surreal-looking image, especially with respect to the skies. Was that sort of an accident, or is it, did you just go, oh, I wonder what will happen if I do this? Oh, that's my motto in my infrared book. What would happen if? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm always looking at something. What would happen if? And the idea behind that was that I wanted to work with the idea idea of multiple exposures. I loved working, you know, Tony Sweet is just a wonderful, fantastic person. I don't, uh, just, he, he does a multiple exposures with flowers and I, and I love the idea of doing that long ago. But I thought 
I'm in Florida, you know, the clouds are just, just a really interesting idea. So I started working out with a camera just on multiple exposure feature does can do 10 exposures, but doing long exposures, I thought that would be more interesting. And then, and from that idea was born into um, creating a, a photograph that has more. It, it's actually been done. There's a photographer out there who, who's doing some beautiful, he calls them time stacks. And and, and, and that's just along the same lines, except I want it to be a little bit different and do long exposures uh, instead of just short exposures. But it sort of stumbled upon that idea of um, long exposures, multiple exposures together. And it seems like uh, you're always on the hunt for great clouds for these shots you have a for any sort of landscape images having a great sky is always key but uh for these long time exposures these the motion of the clouds just adds so much drama to these photographs thank you i, I think so and, and pretty much as a photographer as you well know we're at the mercy of of the weather and 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 the direction of the wind and how it's going to work you know with some of the long exposures I, Maybe the wind is just is not the right direction, or the clouds just aren't uh, working. So really, it's just a matter of um, working hard to get the shot, but also <laughs> at the mercy of Mother Nature. In some cases, it can be quite interesting, and um, where the clouds are uh, moving towards you, and you get this really wonderful action. And you know, it's also interesting that it doesn't have to be a full on 10 minute exposure, it can be something, maybe it's just a little bit shorter, getting the texture of the water may be more interesting. And, and that's what I thought was interesting about multiple exposure and long exposure. I like what, what happened as far as the texture in the water. It was kind of interesting. I had not really noticed that what happened. I still get the blur in the sky, but I got this really interesting texture in the water. Yeah. You have this one shot of some pylons, some wooden pylons. Uh, it's a vertical composition. And uh, you have the, the, the seabirds in the distant background, but the composition is built so you see this sort of swirling of the water uh, around the pylons. Oh, yes. And, and I just love that. And it's just like, it's, it's, I like that image because it surprises me because I'm expecting a certain thing to happen with the water and with the sky, but that swirling as a result of those posts jutting out of the water. Uh, was a real like pleasant surprise when I saw that. I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. And, and, and it, it would only happen as a result of doing a long time exposure. Thank you. Yes. And I like surprises too. And, and that's the nice thing about long exposure because you just can't really see it in that moment of time. It's just really as it records and you see what happens. And that that photograph I think you're talking about is it was taken in Naples. And it, the idea was that to convey a sense of motion without water but then i was very lucky to have the sun peek out behind the clouds and again it was just uh, mother nature <laughs> yeah one of the one of the tricks to this kind of photography i would think is knowing that you've got the shot because with street photography you know i can look at the lcd and know, okay i got it i got the moment i got all the different elements sort of coming together and it works really beautifully but whether it's infrared or whether it's a long time exposure that's really only the sort of the starting point the image doesn't really completely happen until you bring it into your photo editing application so knowing that how do you assess whether you know whatever number of images that you've taken during you know during a, that little little time of, of shooting is really going to give you what you want that's a good question. And well, with the singular long exposure, 
generally you can see what's happening on, on, on the back of the camera. You, it, it, you have to wait, <laughs> but after the if a few minutes or however long it's going to take, then you do know what you have in capture. But as far as uh, multiple exposures and, and that's where it becomes very subjective. And like you said, a nice surprise, because I may be able to blend, let's say I take 50 images or a hundred images and, and maybe it's just the f images of the first part. And maybe I only choose a certain amount of images because that's just very serendipitous as far as how, how is the end result is. That's where I really enjoy Photoshop as far as being able to have that uh, ability to uh, work creatively. And, and that's kind of how it works. So there are some nice surprises that happen at the time of capture and also in post-processing. When you're doing the long time exposures, the, the the long time exposures themselves can introduce some noise into the image. It's not just using a high ISO, but just having the the electric charge passing through the sensor for a prolonged period of time can introduce noise. Is that a big consideration for you now, or are the cameras that you're using now so good that uh, it's nothing to be concerned with? Oh, that's a consideration, and the cameras that I'm using. Um do very well in, in low light and long and long exposures. The cameras, most cameras have a long exposure noise reduction feature that will allow any type of noise that might be introduced to be reduced or eliminated. And generally I use that feature because it saves me in post-processing. The only time I wouldn't will say if I'm very limited at twilight, I know my window to shoot is going to be much shorter because generally the noise reduction feature, if it's on, takes just about as long or as long as the actual exposure itself. So it's a choice. Do you want to do noise reduction in post or you want it in camera? But the camera I'm working with is the Nikon D4. It does beautifully in low light. How about people who are using cameras that aren't necessarily that, that high end? If they're using sort of cameras that are more sort of in the middle or even on the entry level end, uh, can they still be able to produce these images that look as good as yours? Actually, they do quite well, and, and it's exciting to be able to do that. I had a small camera that I had to use for a client, and again, it was what would happen if I wanted to see. And those same features, I have that. I had that feature of long exposure noise reduction, and I happened to have um, Lee Big Stopper sent me a, a, a little Big Stopper, it's a 7.5 um, filters for the smaller cameras. So on that camera, I was still able to make a, a use a 10 stop neutral density filter, make a long exposure, blur the water and blur the clouds, and the camera did beautifully. So absolutely, the compact cameras are, are phenomenal. You're a big proponent of using plugins like Topaz and Nick Nick software. How important are those to the to the final look? Do you find that you experiment a lot with those different plugins, or do you have like a certain handful of the uh, of different features of each of those that you are sort of your go to um, go to applications for your for editing your images? Absolutely. Uh being very familiar with the different filters and plugins are absolutely huge time savers. I mean, I might be able to accomplish similar results in, in Photoshop or Lightroom, but it's going to take me too long. And I know that I can, I also like the control is like for something like um, the Nick software, they have Viveza and, and, or, or Nick, um, Color FX Pro, or actually uh, Silver, who has control points, so you can place control point where you want to say, "I need this area of the image darker," and I, ha I don't have to worry about the, you know, masking and that kind of thing. So to me, it's more efficient. So I do have the go-to filters. I know how they're going to respond, and it, and it just 
helps me as a photographer technically, but also artistically. I might want to be able to enhance a certain color or bring out the structure in a certain part of the image or dark an area or dark in a or light in an area, which would be similar what you used to be able to do in the dark room. But those tools make it easier and a lot more fun as a photographer. One of the questions I, I, I want to make sure that I asked you was that with traveling, I'm tending to carry less and less just because I don't want to have to carry everything I own with me on a trip. It just becomes so burdensome and, and takes some of the joy of traveling. So do you find yourself traveling with less or because you're often doing stuff on assignment that you really have to still take uh, a good amount of gear with you? Well, it depends on, on what I have to do. Uh, I, I've looked at my gear this year <laughs> very carefully and, and really defined what's works, what doesn't work, then what can be improved. So I'm, I'm really trying to streamline what I work. I, I love my camera. I mean, I, I, so I, there's no possible way I would, I would part with that. I know a lot of people are going to the smaller cameras and, and I'm sure I'll, 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 I'll do that too. But at this moment, um, I definitely carry, you know, the cameras that I have and smaller cameras. So I'll try to economize on where I'm traveling to, what I'm going to use. So I've, I've choose my lenses carefully. And I, I know I have a couple go-to lenses and, and those are the lenses I'm going to bring. But I know a lot of people I've talked with are absolutely are, are going to smaller cameras because it's a little it's easier. It's not so hard to, because um, it does weigh you down if, if, if you're not careful. Well, my last question that I ask each guest is I ask them to recommend another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore. And it can be anyone, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that one photographer be and why? Oh my goodness. That, that is such a, a difficult question. There's so many fantastic photographers, but I'd say the person that I was, well, there's so I mean, see if I say one that I'm going to be discounting of everybody else, but oh my goodness. I'd say the person I really admire is Tony Sweet. And, and he is uh, just a wonderful person. I've had the pleasure and honor of meeting him, but he, he has such inspiration in what he does. And he shares what he knows with just with without abandon. He just, it just absolutely is not selfish about what he knows. And, and he's, he's, he's a wonderful inspiration. So that's one of many, many people that, uh, that I would recommend. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Tony. He's a great guy and a wonderful shooter. Absolutely. So where can people go to find out more about you and everything that you're doing? Oh my goodness. I'm not hard to find. Um, I'm on Google plus. You can find me at Deborah Sanage at Google plus. I'm on Facebook, um, Deborah Sanage photography and also Deb Sandage on Twitter, Deb Sandage and Instagram, Deb Sandage and Pinterest. I think that's <laughs> all the social media outlets. I do have a website is DebraSandage.com, and people can find me through there. Absolutely. And I'm always happy to answer questions and, um, and, and hopefully uh, people will, will catch up with me and go to my workshop page of my, uh, my uh, web page. It's uh, Deborah Sandage, uh, Deb Sandage Workshops. Great. Well, thank you, Deborah, so much. I really had fun talking to you. I enjoy talking with you, too. Thank you. I'm glad you have the same excitement and passion about photography. And, and but yet you do something so totally different. So it's always wonderful to talk with another photographer. Thank you for joining us. You can show your continued support for the work we do here at TCF by making donations of any amount using PayPal. By clicking on the links in the show notes or on the website, your contributions help us to improve the show. 
Each episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you with the contributions of our audio engineer, Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music is available via incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.